The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer for this podcast. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, please reach out. You can reach us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a good review so that people can find us when they're looking for stories of hope and help with addiction. Please also subscribe to our YouTube channel by the same name, The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, and give us a good rating there as well. And if you ring the bell, you will be notified when we put up a new video, which just happens to be every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. Today's episode is episode number 304, and today we have an interview with a gentleman named Clint Arthur. Now, Clint Arthur is a Horton Business School graduate and award-winning speaker and info marketer who appears frequently on the Today Show and other talk shows. He has shared the stage with such notables as Martha Stewart, Dr. Oz, Suzanne Summers, Caitlyn Jenner, and many more. He also has his own history with addiction. He lives in New York City, Los Angeles, and Acapulco with his wife, Allie, and Nova, their billion peso puppy. Wisdom of the Men, his 21st best-selling book, was named for a Pulitzer Prize. Let's talk to Clint Arthur. Clint Arthur, celebrity entrepreneur. Tell, um, thank you for being on the podcast today. Hey, very important stuff we got to talk about here. I'm excited to me, share this. Me too. So tell us about yourself, like just a little bit of your background. Where'd you grow up? Um, I know you have your own history with drugs. How did that come about? Just tell us your background. Well, I always wanted to be special, uh, mostly because my parents were arguing all the time. Your parents ever argue when you were growing up? Some, yes. Well, with us, it was like, when weren't they arguing? So oh. I came up with this plan. I was going to go to the Wharton Business School. That was going to make me a special person. I was going to become a big businessman. And maybe that would get them to stop arguing because I figured it was my fault. And I was right. So I graduate from Wharton. I go home to get the attaboys, and instead of a love fest, they get into the biggest argument of all time. My dad slams the door on his way out of the apartment, and I'm sitting there talking to my mom on the couch, and I'm like, you know, Mom, the way he resents you all these years, have you been cheating on Dad? And I'm thinking to myself, holy cow, where did that question come from? I never even thought that question before in my life. And then I'm thinking, wow. What kind of a rude kid asks his mom a question like that? And then I'm thinking, how come my mom ain't answering the question? And then he goes, he's not your real father. Your real father was a doctor at the fertility clinic we went to for six years trying to have you. And you look just like that guy. <gasps> hey, what? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> now, up until that point, I had been pretty much, uh, you know, I drank alcohol, but I was never into drugs, really. And uh, at that point, I didn't know who I was anymore. I sure as heck didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up anymore. So I call up the investment bank on the 87th floor of number one World Trade Center, and I get the vice president on the phone. Sir, I really appreciate the offer, but I decided I don't want to be an investment banker anymore. And what did I do? Naturally, I ran off to Hollywood. And <laughs> most people go to Hollywood to lose themselves. I, I went there to find myself. Okay. And I 
found myself going on auditions and writing screenplays. I wrote 30 screenplays over the course of 13 years chasing the Hollywood dream. And that ultimately made me a very special person. It made me the Wharton Business School taxi driver. That's right. (laughs) And, And naturally along the way, you know, you're supposed to go to parties. Nobody told me why you go to the parties. I thought you go to the parties to get drunk and to smoke pot and try to get laid. And that's what I did a lot, you know? I, I did a lot of those things. And uh, I became a pot smoker in my 20s, throughout my 30s, all the way until I accidentally quit smoking pot on December 14, 2009. My wife and I were at a raw vegan retreat in Lemon Grove, California. And one of the rules is no drugs, no alcohol. And I quit smoking pot for those two weeks that we were there. And lucky for me, I didn't start again when we got home. I started drinking again. I immediately cracked open a nice bottle of uh, of French wine and we had a rack of lamb after the vegan retreat. But I stayed- <laughs> Why did you go, Clint? <laughs> to lose the weight, of course. Oh, I, lost, okay. I lost 18 okay. pounds. I oh, lost okay. I get it. I get it. Okay. But, you know, I was back to drinking and I continued to drink uh, for another, let's see, for another five years, I continued to drink. And I, you know, I had this big goal. I I wanted to be on the Today Show to promote my book about what they taught me at the Wharton Business School. And, you know, I did a lot of TV. I, I just, I was telling you, I just finished my 121st television appearance just now. Congratulations. And thank you. And in those days, let's see, 2000, end of ter- 2013, I got a call from the Today Show. It was my 57th appearance. Brooke Shields interviewed me on that show. And she said, um, you know, you talk a lot about being comfortable outside of your comfort zone. And I said, yeah, life begins where your comfort zone ends. And she said, that sounds scary. And I said, when it's scary is when it's great. Mm. I think a lot of people drink and smoke. I know I drank and smoke a lot because I was scared and to try to dull the sense of of fear. Mm-hmm. But the most fascinating thing happened the next day after after the Today Show. My wife and I it was New Year's Eve in New York City. We went out. We saw the ball drop in Times Square. I met Anderson Cooper. I got my selfie with Anderson Cooper. <laughs> we were drinking until 1.30 in the morning, and I could barely catch a buzz. And the next morning, I woke up, and I said to my wife, wow, you know what? I think I'm done drinking. Wow. And it, it, this is the most craziest thing of how it happened. I mean, I really do believe you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs self actualization is the peak of the hierarchy of needs you're making okay. your unique contribution that's how i stopped drinking huh. that's what happened to me i i got on the today show i shared my message about living the last year of your life you know you should one of one of my themes is you should live as if it's going to be the last year of your life okay and uh, and I got to talk about that on the Today Show also. And, you know, when I got to make my unique contribution to the world, suddenly I just didn't have that feeling that I needed to drink anymore. And it was fascinating because I was 48 years old and George 
W. Bush also quit drinking when he was 48 years old okay. and many, many, many times. You know, I've, I, my, my most recent book is called Wisdom of the Men. And this is it. It's about, you know, how I went from taxi driver to working with international superstars and five U.S. presidents revealing all my secrets so you can do it too. And George H.W. Bush is in here. But, the, you know, there, I've met, I've had the privilege to meet five U.S. presidents in my life. Bush, okay. Clinton, Carter, uh, Trump, and Biden. And throughout my sobriety, many, many, many times, I would think about W and how he quit. And, you know, that guy, you can only imagine the kind of partying that W did when he was an undergraduate at Yale with all the money in the world and hanging out with all those rich guys. So I thought many times in my life, if W could stay quit, I could stay quit. And I've used the inspiration of George W. Bush many, many times because it's not always easy to um, to stay quit off alcohol. But I do it for me. Yeah. And that's key. Because we know from having talked to a lot, I mean, we're almost in our the end of our sixth year of podcasting. We've talked to a lot of former alcoholics and addicts. And until they decide that they're going to get clean and sober, not for their wife or their kids or anybody else, they're going to get clean and sober for themselves, it doesn't happen. It, it has to be for you. And it got to the point where... Uh, in 2019, my wife and I had a big conference that we hosted in Carnegie Hall in New York City with Martha Stewart, Ice-T and, and his wife Coco, uh, Jerry from Ben & Jerry's. It was called The Living Legends of Entrepreneurial Marketing. Okay. And after that, I took us on a triumphant tour of Europe. And we went all over Europe. And one of the places we went was Prague. And I'm having a slice of tiramisu cake in Prague and I take a bite and I feel this familiar warm glow going down my throat and I'm Yes you do. Right? And I and I call the waiter over and I said, "Excuse me, is there alcohol in this tiramisu?" He goes, "Of course there's alcohol in this." Tiramisu. Well, I got news for you. Martha Stewart's tiramisu recipe does not have alcohol in it. Okay? There you go. They so now I could have eaten that tiramisu and no one would have known that I was getting drunk off a slice of cake because there was a lot of alcohol in that cake and I would have gotten quite a nice buzz. But you know what? I sent it back. I still had to pay seven euros for it, even though I didn't eat it. But I sent it back because my sobriety is for me. And I don't want to threaten that. I don't want to jeopardize my sobriety for me. It, it took me a long time to even realize that I was addicted to marijuana. You know, they say marijuana is not an addictive drug. Ooh, That's yes, what they say. Yes, they say yes. it's not an addictive drug, Joni. I know they do, but they are wrong. They're liars. They lie. They're That's a exactly bunch right. of liars is what yes, they sir. are. I, You know, in, in Los Angeles, I have, I have a beautiful property on Sunset Boulevard in Silver Lake. And across the street is this coffee shop called Tropical. It's a well-known place for 12-step meetings. And I'm walking by there one day and I see the meeting room door is open. Then I poke my head in there just out of curiosity. I see there's a meeting going to start. I'm not a 12-step program person, but I sit down and the meeting begins and this person goes, hey, my name is Joe and I'm an addict. Hey, my name is Mary and I'm an addict. And it comes over to me and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself about this whole thing because, you know, the Johns Hopkins questions, 
to determine, are you an addict or are you an alcoholic, right? I had done the Johns Hopkins questions many times regarding alcohol, and I could never get the third yes. I could get two yeses, mm-hmm. but oh, that third, that th- I wasn't an alcoholic. That third yes was elusive. But I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself about marijuana. And I thought to myself, okay, question number one about marijuana, because I had never considered marijuana as an addiction before. Question number one, do I smoke every day? Well, yes, when I was, this is 18 months after I stopped smoking. Right. I, I popped into this meeting. Question number one, did I smoke every day? Yes, I did. Question number two, did I smoke alone? Yes. Question number three, did I associate with a lower class of people because of my addiction? Hmm. And I had never considered that before, but what I realized was there was this guy who applied to be a member of my fraternity when I was at Wharton Business School. And I personally stood up in the meeting and said, no way, blackball. This guy is not cool enough to be in our fraternity there's no way. And he was gone. Okay. And then I graduate from college and move out to Los Angeles. And my girlfriend, who I'm living with, was friends with that guy. So we went over to his house and he cooked <laughs> us a beautiful meal and he served us beautiful wine. And he served me beautiful, kind buds. He had the kindliest of all kind buds. And I became friends with that guy and would go and smoke that guy's buds for years and years and years and years and years. Wow. And sitting in that meeting at the Tropical Cafe, I realized I had been associating with a lower class of person, a person who I didn't think was cool enough before I was smoking pot, when I was still at my peak, when I was an undergrad at the Wharton Business School, and I was going to rule the world, and I got my job in investment banking, and all of this stuff, and I was in the coolest fraternity. When I was at my power, I didn't think he was cool enough, but then when I became chasing the Hollywood dream. And I started lowering my standards. I started associating with a lower class of person because of my addiction. And I stood up in that meeting. And for the first time in my life, I said, Hey, my name is Clint and I'm an addict. You are listening to the addiction podcast point of no return for more information on the podcast or to reach out. If you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. 
And I got a standing ovation from that room. It was like, you know, I'm a speaker. I don't get a lot. I don't get a lot of standing ovations. (laughs) (laughs) I get a lot of order forms. I get people paying me lots of money, but I generally don't get standing ovations like I did that day. That was, that was quite a thing. And I, I, it didn't, it was really an impressive thing. And I didn't realize what a big thing it was. I just said it and wow, there, there I was. Wow. That's a great story. I um just a, a couple comments and you know one of the things I think when you were talking about the tiramisu and how you could have eaten it and no one would have known. It's like this is kind of silly but it's like your harshest critic is you and you can hide it from just about anybody else but you cannot hide it from yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror and you know that you have relapsed. There you go. It is, it's got to be for you. And and the, the mind is a, a dastardly thing. You know, it took me 18 months before I realized, holy cow, it took me 18 months of being sober off yep. marijuana before I realized I had been addicted to marijuana. And it goes the same with eating, you know, yeah. during those times, during the 2000s, I got quite fat and happy. In fact, I got obese, 236 pounds. And I didn't realize I was obese. I just knew I couldn't bend over and tie my shoes anymore. <laughs> I wasn't obese. I just couldn't tie my shoes. Yeah, I get it. The mind plays all these tricks <laughs> when it comes to addiction. Oh, you don't have a problem. You're, you know, it's just the way it is. Well, you, you got to be as objective as you can because there's no point in lying to yourself. Either you're going to be healthy or you're not. Either you're an addict or you're not. Either you're a, a drug addict or you're not. You're, either you're an alcoholic or you're not. And I, you know, unfortunately, a lot of older people, like my dad's really good friends, they retired, they moved to Florida, and they have martinis every day at five o'clock. Well, I got news for you, Raymond and Ricky, if you happen to be watching. If you're drinking every day at five o'clock, even though it's social, there's a chance that you have an issue with alcohol at this point. And there, there are other people too. You know, one of my good friends, Suzanne, who I love very much. I don't want to say her name because she's very famous. But, you know, I just think she drinks a lot and I can see it in her face. Yep. And you got to be honest with yourself. Yep. Um, you know, it's been now. I've been off. I, I haven't had a drink since January 1st, 2014. And I think you can see it in my face. Yeah. Yeah. I can. I would yeah. know. You look wonderful and that you. you look healthy and that's that's the key. You know the other thing you said when when you were talking about the third question about do you does your problem have you hang out with a lower class of individual? Yeah. You know it's interesting that you say that and I think a lot of times uh people who are in sobriety or in recovery they are they have to really look at the people that they've been around when they were using. Yeah. Um, I remember talking to a woman who had been an addict. She'd been an alcoholic and she had, I want to say, had been taking anti-anxiety meds. I'm not sure what they were, but I think that's what they were. And I remember her saying that when she went into rehab, there were several of her friends who said, you don't need rehab. You just drink every day and take some pills. And and that's the exact kind of thing. Like your guy that you knew was not, he wasn't good enough for your fraternity, but now there you were, you know, hanging out with him. And I think, I think that that's a, that's a definite important part of recovery and staying clean and sober. Yeah. It, look, it ultimately has to be 
for you. And that's the sad part because especially in our society where oftentimes being selfish is looked down upon or doing stuff for yourself instead of for your family or for, you know, for others is, is not cool. Right. Some reason, you know, that we have a lot of, a lot of weird politics going on and, and this is part of the politics. And unfortunately the only one who benefits from your sobriety is you. And the only one who can do the, your sobriety is you. And you have to decide, are you worth it? Yep. Are you, are you worth it? Is your life worth it? And the, there's so many amazing benefits that come along with it, which really surprised me. And the first one was self-confidence. A lot wow. of people drink to have more confidence. Right. For me, I found that when I quit drinking, I got more confidence. Why? Because when I was driving home after dinner, I didn't have to worry if there were going to be flashing lights in my rearview mirror because I wasn't <laughs> buzzed anymore. Yep. Okay. When I woke up in the morning, I wasn't hung over and impaired and I didn't have to worry about answering the phone and not being as sharp as I was. I remember one time I, you know, I have gourmet food business. One time I, it was like 6.30 PM. I started taking a few hits off my pipe, smoking marijuana. And the phone rings. Naturally, I answer because I always answer my phone. And I say, this is Clint. And, it, and the voice goes, hello, Clint. This is Grant McPherson, executive chef from the Bellagio Hotel. You know, this is the call that I've been waiting for for years. And here it is showing up when I'm buzzed on right. marijuana. And right. I'm thinking that I'm freaking out on the phone with the executive chef, the guy I've been trying to get on the phone for years. <laughs> he finally calls me and I'm high. Right. And I'm like trying to get off the phone as fast as I possibly can so I don't make an idiot of myself. Now, lucky thing, it couldn't have gone too bad because I sold a lot of butter to the Bellagio for many, many years. So it, it all kind of worked out. But I'll tell you what, maybe it would have gone better if I wasn't stoned when I got the call from yeah. the big guy. Yeah. You know, you know that you are impaired. You know that you're not as good. And especially when, you know... For me, my drinking looked like uh, I would start having beer or margaritas at 6.30, 7 o'clock, move into a bottle of wine, and then continue until I passed out at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. Then I wake up the next morning, 9, 10, 11, whatever time I wake up, I'm still buzzed from the mm -hmm. night before or hungover. So what, what happens was I would have from like, let's say, 7 p.m., until noon the next day when I know I wasn't as good. So there's five hours plus 12, 17 of my 24 hours where I know I'm not as good. When I quit drinking, one of the things one of my mentors talks about, he says that rich people work hard. And uh, one of the great things that I got from quitting drinking was I got all those hours where yep. I could work again. Yep. And people ask me, you know, how have you been able to accomplish so much? You know, I've spoken at Harvard and Oxford and Cambridge and and uh, the Royal Society of Medicine and NASDAQ and London Stock Exchange. I shared the stage with Dr. Oz and Suzanne Summers and Martha Stewart and Caitlyn Jenner and and all of these amazing things that I've done. I've made many, 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 many zeros in my bank account mm -hmm. over the years. And all of it really came when I took the rocket ride of not drinking and taking all that time so that I could work harder 
on my on my business instead of working on my hobby, which was drinking and getting drunk. I, th I think that's huge. And I and we've said it before in the podcast to um, anybody listening who is addicted or knows somebody who's addicted, but if they take the amount of energy and effort that it takes to be high every single day and use that and turn it into something positive, like becoming successful in whatever they want to become successful in, they're going to, they're going to rock it. They are good. They're going to rock it right to success because it's a lot of work to stay addicted and that all of that energy and intention can be redirected. Amen to that. Yeah. You can, definitely find something better to do. You know, when I was first getting clean and sober, when I first quit drinking alcohol, I would literally go on Google and I would type in, what do you do with all of your time when you don't drink alcohol anymore? I swear <laughs> to God, I, I typed that into Google. There's no good answers that come up. No. You have to make that stuff up yourself. That's yeah. called being an industrious person, having the life that you create for yourself, uh, making making the life of your dreams. And I know all this can sound like just so much hot air to a person who doesn't, who's not ready to quit, but you have to decide for yourself that this is for you and that this is what you want. Look, there was nobody who was more of a connoisseur of fine wine or fine tequila or fine beer or fine scotch or fine vodka than me. I was a connoisseur of all of those things at the highest levels. I mean, I could taste a wine and tell you exactly what it was because in my gourmet food business, I would, you know, frequently go to these 13 course tasting menu dinners with matched wine pairings. I was yeah. the highest level of gourmet there is. And now I realize all of that is, you know, okay, good, I guess. But on a certain level, I think it's just a function of marketing from the alcohol industry. Yeah, you think? <laughs> That's a very good point, Clint. <laughs> tell us, tell us about your book again, and tell us, you know, how would that benefit someone who maybe is struggling with addiction and try, or or even struggling with staying clean in sobriety? Well, there's there's two books that I've written that could be helpful for those person. Okay, okay. The first one was when I. Like when I was chasing the Hollywood dream, I couldn't get arrested except for the DUI. And when I got arrested for the DUI, they put me, you know, I got a, a plea bargain and I had to go to a number of AA classes. And the AA guy who taught the classes was fascinating, he had a tremendous story. Four, four DUIs, three times that he was married and divorced, two times that he died and came back to life. Wow. And then 13 years of recovery through the 12 steps of AA. And I thought he was so fascinating. I wanted to write his book because I wanted to see if I was a drug addict and alcoholic. I wanted to see what it really was like. What, you know, I couldn't be, what, you know, he. So that book is called The 100% True Story of a Nice Jewish Boy from Los Angeles. That's the name of that book. Because okay. he worked in his parents' delicatessen, and he be, was a nice Jewish boy from L.A. and became a raging alcoholic like I just described. So that that's a phenomenal book. It's on Kindle on Amazon. Tell me the name again. The 100% True Story of a Nice Jewish Boy from Los Angeles. Okay. I just want to make sure I have the whole title. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, it's, it's a, a really fascinating story because he's such a normal guy. And his life just got so unbelievably turned topsy-turvy 
from drugs and alcohol in the 60s and 70s, all right? And then this other book is Wisdom of the Men. And really, and I definitely talk about alcohol here. I definitely talk about getting clean and sober in here because it's such a big, important part of my life. And if I hadn't gotten, if I hadn't accidentally quit smoking pot, boy, I mean, you could draw your own conclusions. I had been trying to promote books and get on TV and stuff for years and years and years throughout my 30s and 40s. And I, I couldn't get arrested in Hollywood except for the DUI. But six weeks after I quit smoking pot, an amazing thing happened. I did my first television appearance. And since then, I've done 121. So you can draw, is there some kind of causality between the two? Look, there definitely is. You know why? Because for me, when I was smoking marijuana, I always had paranoia and doubt about my own self-worth, the quality of my work. But once I stopped smoking pot, the the paranoia and the self-doubt started to go away. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that just fascinating? Isn't it? Yeah, because I look at you and I have self-doubt, paranoia. Not this guy, but I get it. Yeah. And it, six weeks later, I, I I made a commitment. I was looking up my book about what I learned at the Wharton Business School, what they teach you at the Wharton Business School. And I thought to myself, I have to start promoting that book. If that book is not good enough, luckily I'd written a really good book about a really important thing in my life. And I said, if that book is not good enough to get me on TV, then what could possibly be good enough? So I invested money and I spent $6,000 to do my first four TV appearances to promote that book. And then my wife goes, why do you keep paying this lady to go on TV? Why don't you book yourself on TV? (laughs) There you go. How do you do that? And it (laughs) took me a while. It took me like nine and a half weeks to figure out how do you book yourself on TV? But I booked my first TV appearance that year. I booked seven appearances in the first year. I did 20 the second year. And my 32nd TV appearance was on NBC New York. My 57th was on the Today Show with Brooke Shields. And, you know, they asked me that question. They go, you know, you ask yourself a great question every year, Clint. What's that question? I said, ask yourself, if this was going to be the last year of your life, what would you want to accomplish? That's been a real superpower for me, helping me to break through the fear, procrastination, and doubt that have held me back in my life. And that's been another recurring theme of my work is- I, I love that. I love that. And that is and that is relevant to anybody watching or listening to the podcast is like, if this is the last year, what do you want it to be like? What do you, where do you want to be at the end of the year? Or what, you know, how do you want to change your life? And I think, I think that's huge. Then there's another question, which I asked accidentally uh, and, at, at the end of 2019, I lead my, my community in a goal-setting program every year. And at the end of 2019, I did that goal-setting event. And then I did one for myself personally. And I said, what would I want to accomplish if this was going to be my last decade? Mm. And the fascinating thing was I wrote down, I want to win the Pulitzer Prize for Literature. And you're close. And this book got nominated for the Pulitzer yeah, Prize. Yeah, I saw that. Now, here's the thing. I, what I realized only look, looking back on the list of things that I wrote down is I wrote literature. So I'm going back to Italy in a couple of weeks and I'm going to write a novel so that I can fulfill on the goal that I wrote down in December of 2019 of winning the Pulitzer Prize for literature. I love it. Yeah. I love it. But that's a really great question. You know, Tony Robbins says, 
we overestimate what we can achieve in a year and we underestimate what we can achieve in a decade. Very good point. Yeah. Very, very good point. Hey, Clint, hey. thank you for talking to us today. Thanks for telling your story. Um, I just, it's great. And I know it's going to resonate with people and I, I appreciate you sharing with us. Hey, if it helps even one person, if it just helps you, you, I'm talking to you, the listener right now, if it just helps you, awesome. Help yourself. Thank you so much for listening today. If you don't get one, if you only get one message from the podcast today, this is the message. You want to get clean and sober for you, not for anybody else, just for you. And you are worth it. So there's our message. And we, this is our last podcast of the year. And we really, really want, we actually want you to get clean and sober this year. And this podcast goes up the 29th of December, so you only have a couple days. But if not this year, in 2023, for absolute certain, make that the year that you or your loved one gets clean and sober and stays that way. Thank you again for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.